So last week we, we talked about hurt and uh, it was interesting as we began to think through some of the things around hurt because what we talked about is this Voice of the Heart book with this guy named Chip Dad that he wrote. He talks about all these eight core emotions and that there's a gift and an, an impairment to each one. And so uh, here's our uh, feelings list. Uh, if you, uh, you know, we, we put this out, but here's... The eight core emotions are hurt, lonely, sad, anger, fear, shame, guilt, and glad. And uh, again, if you weren't here last week, it might sound like that there's only one positive one. Uh, but the reality is, is you can't have authentic joy until you learn how to work through the other seven. You can't understand the gifting that happens in each one of those. And so uh, last week we talked about hurt and how hurt, the impairment to hurt and the unprocessed hurt in our lives is that we become resentful and bitter either towards someone else or something else. And that becomes the reality of what happens to us inside. And we talked about what that, when we become resentful and bitter, what, what, start bitter, what ends up happening uh, in our relationships and everything. And we can't possibly be emotionally healthy in that scenario. But the gift, but the gift is healing and courage. When you begin to process hurt, you begin to talk about the hurt, uh, that you can have healing and courage that ends up happening. And so you start even seeing this, uh, we had a few people come up to me afterwards and be like, man, I have unprocessed hurt that I've just buried for years and years in my life. And it's wreaked havoc on me, and I've never admitted to the hurt that it caused. And even relationally, you start seeing that you might be uh, dating someone, you might have a friend, you might uh, be married to someone, where you've never actually talked about hurt and the reality of what they might have done to, to hurt you or, or talked about how you might have hurt them. And, and no matter what age you are, understanding the ability to start having like a good vocabulary around your emotions is actually critical. Uh, I think if you were to ask me when I was 15 years old, or maybe even 25, goodness, uh, how many emotions I have, I'd be like, I don't know, four, <laughs> right? And, uh, but the reality is when you become a little more mature, when you begin to understand what's going on inside of you, you want to voice your emotion. Uh, you know, we talked about last week that if you say things like, well, I don't really feel stuff, that does not mean you're tough. It means you're unhealthy, and so to understand that is critical to not only how you begin to see yourself, but it's critical to how you begin to understand your relationship with God. Because these, the, what's, what we're talking about here is the inner soul, soul care, the, 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 the guts of who you are, which the Bible is frequently talking about. Jesus talks about it a lot. Even when you think about Jesus talking about the kingdom coming, when he says, the kingdom of God is like this, or when someone asks, like, what is this kingdom of God like? And a lot of times we think about, oh, he's talking about heaven. He's not talking about heaven. He is talking about what is it like to experience eternal life here and now. And so in order to, to do that, he's talking about this fullness of life that you can experience, but you cannot do that if you are unhealthy. You cannot do that until you get in touch with the reality of what's going on. And there's a, a wide age range in, in this room, but it applies to every single person, every single one of us. Like until you learn what it means to start having the vocabulary around your emotions and understanding where your emotions lead you to, um, you, until you understand that you won't be healthy. And so uh, each week we're going to take a look at some of these things because unhealed wounds are a precursor to you hurting other people around you. And so if you've got some stuff going on inside that you never dealt with, I promise you, you are hurting other people around you because you've never dealt with it. 
and you've never healed from it, and you've never seen the gift of what might have happened in that. And so uh, Chip Dad says this in uh, one of the chapters. He says, to be relationally mature is to be able to speak to what we are feeling and recognizing what we need. To be relationally mature is to be able to speak to what we are feeling and recognizing what we need. So uh, how many guys have needs? Yeah. Some of you guys are like, no, I'm super needy, right? And, you, maybe, and maybe you've been told that. I don't know. Uh, but it's okay. Well, we, we all have needs. We all have needs. And there are a lot of different kinds of needs. But man, these, these needs, the two most important needs that start from a very, very young age, literally when uh, you're, you're immediately born. But we all want to be belong, feel like we belong, and we all want to feel like we're accepted, that we matter. And so to belong is to kind of think of in the, the group context. So even when we think about like a church, a church body, for instance, use this as an example, we all want to feel like no matter where we're at, no matter what we've done, no matter where we come from, like we want to feel like we belong. We can feel like we belong in something, right? That if you like, oh, if I just mention like something I did, they're going to like throw me out or something. You know, it's like, no, we want to feel like we, we belong. Uh, we all want to feel like we matter. We want to matter for who we are, not what we've done or what we've achieved. How many of you guys have grown up in, and maybe you grew up in a home where it was high expectations of high achievement? Remember that? And... Uh, and some of that's good, right? Some of that can instill good things inside of us. But if your whole identity is based off of what you have achieved and that that's somehow you earn your parents' love that way, then that's what's going to happen. You're going to start thinking, all that, well, if I don't do this, like, they're not going to love me. And so you don't, you're going to feel like you actually don't matter, that you're just a product of whatever you achieve. But man, if you begin to understand when the context of a family in the context of a grouping of friends, that you matter because of who you are as a person. Everything begins to change. And those are our two main needs that every single person in this room has. Every single one of us has. So when you think about this reality of being connected to people and not being alone, the truth is, is the Bible talks a lot about this actually right in the beginning of everything. So when in the creation story, I'm sorry, don't look at that. Um, in the creation story, it says this, that the Lord God said, it is not what? Say it. You guys can read? Oh, it's not up there. <laughs> I can read. I can read my own notes. So we're good. Uh, here's what the Lord God said. Let me try this again, see if it comes back in. The Lord God says this, it is not good, say good, good. for the man to be, there we go. I will make a what? Huh, What? All right, for him. Now, it says it's not good. So God's created all these things. And, and here's man and Adam. He is in direct relationship with God. And to some degree, he has intimacy with God. And God looks at this and says, it's what? Not good. Hold on, everything you've done has, has been good. Is, is, no, but this part's not good. It, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. He says, I'm going to make this, this helper. Now, uh, that word helper does not mean weaker. This helper does not mean, uh, you know, just someone that needs to, like, make me feel good about myself. The helper, the word there for helper, uh, obviously is describing a woman here, but the word there for helper, whenever that's used in Scripture, it's used to either describe who God is, or it's, it's, to, it's a military dis, uh, term used for strength. So... All the women should say what to that? Amen. Amen. <laughs> right? And so we see that 
Like in the beginning, God's like, no, 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 hold on a second. You, you, you need to be paired up with people. Yeah, and I'm not talking about just in marriage. I'm, I'm saying like you, you need people around you. And, and the word suitable, I could do a whole sermon on that. The, the, the word suitable is, is referring to a mirrored person that's different than you. And that's where we see the man and woman idea. It's like it's, it's different than you. There's a, there's a differential in you. And that, that's what we need. We need that around us. And, and we need this to, to understand that like, man, I, in order to, to, full, to be fully human, I can't be alone. To be fully human, I'm not going to live this life alone. Yes, you can have times of silence and solitude and, 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 and that, but, but I can't live this life alone. I can't do this life alone. And God made it this way. And so when we live in a world where it's constantly pushing us away from each other, it's going against the way God created us to be. And we experience the consequences of that thought pattern and the actions uh, around that. We also see this in Genesis 3, 9. It says, but the Lord God called to, to the man. He said, where are you? Now, God created everything. Adam and Eve were not hiding from God at this moment. They, this is when sin entered the world. It talks about them being ashamed and everything. And, and, they, and they hide from God. God is not asking the question, where are you? It was like, Man, they really picked a good hiding spot this time. I can't find them, right? What God is actually engaging here is like, literally like, no, 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 where are you? What's going on inside of you? Why have you distanced yourself from me? We begin to see like, right on the top of how the Bible begins to speak is this intimate relationship between God and his people and this expectant thing that's supposed to happen, this intimate relationship between people. That that's how it's supposed to work and that's how it's supposed to be together. And this is what it means to be fully human and be connected in the way that we should be. And so today I want to talk about the second, the second uh, emotion and that's loneliness. That's loneliness. Loneliness is such an interesting topic to talk about because when you mention the word, quite often people don't want to admit that they're lonely because it makes you feel weak or it makes you feel like you can't make friends or something. And this idea of loneliness is, is tough because, uh, one, you can feel loneliness even when you're in relationships with people. So often when I've counseled couples in marriage, there is a peace when they're, when they're really in a bad spot. There, is, there are times when people be like, I'm actually lonely in my marriage. And we're gonna talk about like, why that can happen. But you can have a grouping of friends and you can be around people, but you can actually still be lonely. And so when we begin to see this idea of loneliness, uh, it's interesting the way that it, it works and it's interesting the way that it plays out in our lives, but the, 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 the gift to loneliness that we see there's intimacy, but the impairment, meaning like how it hurts us, how it hurts us is apathy. Apathy. Now, apathy is not laziness. Apathy is, is it's not hatred towards someone else. Uh, apathy is actually like you get stuck in this loop. Okay, you get stuck in this loop. And so when we're isolated, when we're alone, when we're not in community, when we're not having this intimacy, you get stuck in the same loop over and over and over again. 
and we'll talk about what that loop looks like. But loneliness is such a, a huge deal, and to, to begin to process loneliness and admit to loneliness is important in terms of how we begin to interact with people around us. Chip Dodd says this he's in his book. He says, God gave us loneliness so we would seek out relationship. Loneliness is a feeling that speaks to our deep hunger to belong and to be known. And so, uh, is it okay to feel lonely? Yes. It's okay to admit you feel lonely. It's okay to understand that because it should drive something else in us. But when we replace, when we replace the understanding and process loneliness and we place apathy in there, something starts to happen. Uh, this week I, I saw this picture or uh, the story uh, about the Dutch supermarkets. Anyone else see this? That's happening? Yeah. Uh, it's happening over 200 stores right now. And what they've done is they've had a slow checkout line which on the front end sounds like a living hell, right? <laughs> but uh, on the back end, here's why they did this. They were looking at what's going on in their communities, in particular with the elderly in the community. And they said, people are just alone. And we need to figure out a way to keep having people engage in conversation and feel like they're interacting with people. So they set up and originally it was in, in, in just a few stores, but it was so successful because they have the person at the counter sits down, sits down, and you come up with your stuff, and he or she is intentionally engaging you in conversation as you're checking out. And it's slow, and it's methodical, and everything. And they've seen such a desire for this. And, and, and again, on the front end, you think of this, and you're like, oh gosh, that sounds like the worst. Just give me the self-checkout, and let, let me get out of here. We should not need a slow checkout line. The fact that the slow checkout line is a need shows how many people are lonely and don't have community and don't have intimacy with people. We should absolutely be able to freely check out in the grocery store as fast as we can and as efficient as we can. But the fact that we can't shows us that there's something deeply wrong what's going on in community. And so they've expanded this to over 200 stores now, and it is working in every single store. There was a recent Harvard study that was done where it said that 61% of people 18 to 25 years old uh, checked off that they're either frequently or always lonely. 61%. It's never, it, they've been tracking loneliness for a long time now, and it's, they've never come close to that percentage in any generation ever. In the most connected time we've ever been, hypothetically, we're actually the most disconnected. And so we begin to, to see the reality how this starts to work. Um, you know, we see this in churches, we see this uh, in schools, we see this in every, every communal element where people might even still be around each other, but they're lacking intimacy and they're actually truly lonely. Even in the UK and uh, Japan, they have ministers of loneliness now, and other countries are soon to follow, to have an actual government position to somehow combat loneliness in their country. There's something deeply wrong. The, the reality of how we're engaging people and how we think about people and how we treat one another isn't working. Now, there are a bunch of reasons for this, but one of the main reasons, I believe, is because we've gotten away from the reality of what it means to love one another, to care for one another, to have deep concern for one another. Oh, I don't know, all the things that Jesus taught. 
we begin to see that when we move away from that and go our own way, that's when we introduce all of these other things. Loneliness is one of the most lethal things that can happen to our health. Um, They have discovered uh, so much around short and long-term health issues, uh, you know, ranging from cardiovascular disease to diabetes to um, obesity to, uh, um, like, not just depression, anxiety. I mean, there's so many things that end up happening with it, like all around loneliness. So it's important on the front end to begin to talk about I feel lonely so that we can process it and move into intimacy. But the problem is, is when we put apathy in place of loneliness, something starts to happen. And again, this does not only happen when you just feel isolated. It can happen within relationships. It doesn't happen with just people who maybe are a little awkward, right? No, it can happen with anyone. It can happen with any age and any moment. So begin to understand this. Can you imagine if you, when you were growing up as a little kid, You're in kindergarten and you were able, you were raised in an environment and you were able to start saying things like, and your your parents come on, they're like, hey, what's going on? And imagine if you were able to start articulating, I actually just feel kind of lonely. Like as like a little kid, being able to actually express that reality. She's like, I I, I feel kind of lonely. And then begin to kind of see, like, well, all right, what does this mean? So I want to talk about apathy first. So apathy is, is interesting. Again, it's not laziness. It's not hatred. Um, but you get stuck in this loop. And it happens when we don't acknowledge our need for love. All right? So when we don't acknowledge our need for love, this is when this idea of apathy starts happening in us. And, and there are a lot of things that can cause this. There are a lot of situations in life. COVID could have been a factor for people. Um, you might have moved, you might have taken a new job, you might have had a breakup, you might have had like un- unhealthy family dynamics, you might be in a marriage that uh, you're lacking intimacy in. You could have gotten uh, something happened with your personal health, right? That, that first season of time like pushed you away from, from community that you used to be like, you used to be really involved, but, but maybe something happened and it, and it shifted. And, and so you, what, what happens is this apathy moves in there. Because it wasn't admit, there's no admittance of loneliness and process some of what was going on. So a lot of things can contribute to our loneliness. But here's what apathy begins to look like. Apathy can, can look like this, indifference. Apathy can be indifference. You move into this place of, I don't care. Or, oh, they, weren't really, they weren't that big of a deal to me anyway. You know, or maybe it's, there's plenty of fish in the sea. You know, not that anyone ever actually says that. But they're... It's this mindset of indifference towards everything. Maybe you've viewed it like I used to with this gift to be able to disconnect. You maybe wear that as a badge of honor that you can disconnect from people. What that actually should tell you is you're emotionally unhealthy. I used to view it, my ability to do that, I used to view that as like, oh yeah, yeah, tough stuff happens and I can just disconnect from anything. Not a big deal. Really, I was literally verbalizing to anyone around me, I'm actually kind of emotionally unhealthy. But the reason why no one else said that to me, like, hey, Wags, maybe you need to learn something about yourself and deal with some of this stuff. The reason why people didn't say that to me is because the people around didn't know. They didn't know. And so we begin to think the ability to disconnect, the indifference towards that tells us that there's something else going on. It can also look like defiance. It can look like defiance. So you'll step away from healthy people. You'll step away from 
good habits in your life. You get a warped view on relationships, meaning that friendships can't satisfy you. You know, it's interesting, a lot of times, uh, I'll talk to people and I'll say, can, can a single person have a fulfilling, healthy life? And people will be like, yes, of course, like, that, can, that can totally happen. Yeah, I totally believe that. But yet be, have an idolatrous relationship with marriage and, and all they think about is that. They don't match up. It doesn't match up. And so we start, well, what is that? Well, there's a, there's a defiance. There's something going on inside of us that def, there, it's defying, like one, the, the, to acknowledge that you need love, but, but two, admitting to the reality that, that maybe our view on relationships is a little warped for one reason or another, but that's what can happen inside of us. You might lower your boundaries uh, sexually. You might, uh, you know, lower your boundaries relationally with people in defiance. And, and so you see this in apathy and you get stuck in this loop. Quite often, that loop might look like relationally when people are dating, for instance, they keep doing the same things they keep saying they don't want to do. Or they keep dating the same kind of people that they said that they swore they never would date again. What is that? It's this loop and not admitting the reality, this need for intimacy, this need for love, this need to acknowledge what's actually going on. We see this in the kind of friends that we have too. You ever been around someone whose friend got engaged and you watch the other friend give like the cold shoulder? You become like jerks to them. They used to be so tight, but then when someone like found like, it's like oh, you're, you're going to get married and everyone's excited on the front end and then all of a sudden the relationship has this like huge hit on it. And what are the, what's, what's actually happening there is the other person is saying, I'm really lonely, but here's why I want to be defiant in my emotions towards you. And so I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. I'm going to be mean to you or distant from you. And so we can see that happen. Another way that this happens is through consumption. Apathy can lead to consumption. You fill your time with empty activities, uh, empty relationships, uh, empty happen, uh, habits. The reason, when I say consumption, you're literally consuming people. You're just churning through relationships. What, what can I get out of this? And so it's just all we do. And so we're just kind of, but when we're in this apathetic state, in, in this loop, and not emotionally healthy, what ends up happening is you lack total compassion and empathy for people. So you never actually have any sense of intimacy with anyone else. You just consume relationships and what can I get out of it? And you go and you go and go. And again, this can happen in marriage. This can happen in friendships. This can happen in, like, when you're old. This can happen when you're young. It can, it, it's, what, I'm lacking compassion and empathy. I'm just consuming what's in front of me. But what really what's driving inside of you is like this idea of like, oh, I'm actually lonely in need of intimacy with people who deeply care, where I feel like I can be belong and feel like I can be accepted and be who I am. And so it changes everything. And so when we start thinking about empathy, I mean apathy, apathy will make us hide from the cause of our pain. You won't take ownership over what's really happened. You won't be honest about things. You, uh, you, you will actually push away the truth and the apathy will, will bring us into a place and you get stuck in this loop relationally where you'll rewrite the entire story because it'll just make you feel better. But it's not actually what happened. And so you get stuck in this loop and you create this, this narrative. Instead of admitting to the pain of what happened and, and what, caused, what caused this, you, you'd rather just rewrite the whole story. Uh, apathy will also... Uh, You'll lie about what you need. How many of you guys have ever doom scrolled on social media? 
the scroll and scroll. Be honest, you bunch of liars. Like, the, like there's, you just scroll and you scroll and you scroll and you scroll thinking that's what you need. It's like, no, in, in these moments, it's not just that you're addicted to what's happening on social media. It's also revealing the, the fact that, man, I'm missing connection with people. Because if I was deeply connected with people, maybe I wouldn't be doing this so much. And I get it. Like, it happens sometimes. I'm talking like when it becomes like a habitual thing. Uh, we also lie. Uh, you know, what's interesting about this one. We will sometimes lie. Apathy will make us like buy into this lie that God might be telling us something that he actually isn't. So you'd be like, you know, I just, I just feel like I, I need to get away from those people who are like really healthy. And, and I need to, and God wants me to just do this thing on my own and work on myself. I'm like, God did not tell you to do that. It's like, no, in this the state of loneliness, you kind of believe lies that are kind of inside of us. Here's what else will happen. Apathy will convince you to pull back. You'll pull back from God. You'll pull back from healthy relationships. You'll buy into the fact, saying things like, well, I'm an introvert. And it's okay that you're an introvert. It's not a big deal. But, but you'll, you'll pull back from things. And, and we'll start seeing uh, the healthy boundaries in front of you, the healthy community that's around you. You, you decide, I just want to pull back from this. And what's interesting is we pull back from people that are also different from us. We pull back from people that are healthy for us. We'll pull back from people that could actually make us grow. You guys know currently in our country, we're the most divided we've ever been and tribal we've ever been. It's also, so tribalism is an indicator of deep loneliness. Because what happens is, is, is you feel like, I just want to go over here because this is where I'm perfectly comfortable. I'm not stretched. I'm not challenged. I'm not anything. So I'm just going to go with people that look exactly like me because I can center it right here. And you don't have to like engage the way we should to love one another. Uh, apathy will also make us long for intensity. Here's what I mean by this. Well, let me say it this way. Intense moments have this chemical cocktail in your brain. All right? And so it produces certain things in your brain. And, and so it makes you feel alive. And what's interesting is intense moments, this desire for always having intense moments, can also be tied into trauma bonds that we have. So you had like an intense trauma experience in your life. And so that you feel like the way that you become healthy and match it is always having something intense happening. And so you're constantly in this state of trying to have big experiences or big moments or, uh, and I see some of our middle schoolers here, they just came off a retreat. I mean, you like that retreat high? That ends up, well, you're exhausted after the retreat. But like in the moment, if you've ever been on a retreat of any kind, and it's wonderful, it's great, but you, you always get this high. And so you, you try to replicate that all the time. And some of that's good for this longing of like those passionate moments. There's nothing wrong with those moments. But when you're always like fixated on the next intense moment and you can't appreciate simplicity or can't appreciate the mundane things, uh, you can't appreciate everyday life or maybe you even try to turn a normal thing in life to somehow make it meaningful. You got to turn just like a normal moment into a big moment. And people around you are like, no, we were just like hanging out, <laughs> right? You're like, no, did you see how powerful it was? And it's like, man, we were just like eating. But like, you, you, you just trying to have to turn everything into something, right? Well, what is that? It's, it's this longing for in, these intensity to try and like fill something. 
And so the intensity creates this chemical cocktail in your brain that makes you feel alive. But here's what's interesting. When you have intimate relationships that are long-standing, it's a whole different chemical that ends up in your brain. And you got to learn how to develop them and the importance of them and what it means for us. Intensity will actually distract us from our loneliness and fear. And so it's important to engage it in uh, the right way. Ultimately, apathy tries to make us negate the love uh, we, that we desire, so we go into survival mode, basically. And so we'll try and survive in a way of, uh, through power, control, achievement, addiction, isolation, or big experiences. And so you start seeing, like, this is what happens when apathy is kind of running everything. But that is not the way God designed you to be and what to long for. And intimacy brings something else totally into us. Um, everyone repeat after me. Say, I, I need, need intimacy. intimacy. Uh, that's not a pickup line. But that is a... Uh, <laughs> we, we all need intimacy. Every single person in this room. We all need it. You need intimacy with friends. Like... So often people say intimacy and they immediately think something sexual. That shows you how much we've perverted relationships. But intimacy is, is you can have intimacy with, with friends. You can have intimacy with coworkers. You can have intimacy in community at church. You can have intimacy in your relationships, like if you're married. But intimacy isn't just sexual. There's something deeper to intimacy that's so pivotal to us having healthy relationships and, and healthy uh, understanding of who God thinks we are and to have a healthy understanding of what it means to love other people, to desire intimacy. But man, when we miss out on this peace, we'll never have the community that we want. We, need, we are wired for intimacy. You desperately and I desperately need it. So let me just go quickly what intimacy is built off of. Intimacy is built off trust. Remember Andy Stanley saying this years ago. He said, in every relationship, you either have suspicion or trust. This starts at such a young age. But in every single relationship, you have suspicion or trust. If you have suspicion in your relationship, like you get in a conversation and someone's talking behind someone else's back. And we used to say this to our college and high school students all the time. If you have friends that are talking behind someone else's back, guess what they're doing to you when they're not around you? Talking behind your back. And what does that do? That builds suspicion. And if you have suspicion, then you cannot build trust. If you don't have trust, you can't have an intimate relationship with somebody, an intimate friendships. And so you begin to see that we can either have suspicion or trust and start seeing in our relationships, do I really trust this person? In marriages, is, is do I really trust this person? Not like wow, are they going to cheat on me or not? Not that. I mean, that is a level of trust. But I'm saying like trust to feel safe with this person. Trust to be able to share anything that's going on. Trust that, that whatever I share will be received in the right way. That kind of trust, that's intimacy. Uh, the second thing is vulnerability. Vulnerability. Vulnerability is sharing with the possibility of being hurt. Okay? Vulnerability is sharing something with the possibility of being hurt. That something you share might impact the relationship. Something you share might impact the way they see you. Something might share. It's, it's vulnerability, the possibility of, of being, I mean, sharing with the possibility of being hurt. Here's what's cool about vulnerability and intimate relationships. 
it makes you feel like you're healing and you know it inside of you. The ability to be truly vulnerable with someone else, you're like, oh, I'm actually healing. And you start having courage inside of you to share in the right way. If you feel like you can't fully be vulnerable, you feel it. You're like, ah, we can't get that close. We can't be who I really need to be. But to step into it, you begin to see like, oh, okay, this, this is going to change everything. And there's a healing and there's a courageous element that starts getting built inside of us. When we're willing to expose the, the truth of who we are, expose the pain of maybe what we've gone through, we start seeing vulnerability start playing such a, a, a large role. Let me also say this. Intimate relationships, what ends up happening is when you have vulnerability with another person, that other person also in a vulnerable, intimate relationship ha should have the ability to protect you, call you out, challenge you, create, help you create boundaries. So, so you might be saying, I'm being vulnerable with you. And the other person's like, well, here's what you need to do. You need to drop that person in your life. And you can't be like, how dare you? Right? I was being vulnerable with you. How dare you say that to me? It's like, no, no, no. A true intimate relationship is the acceptance of saying, you know what? As someone you're being vulnerable with, I also want to also make you understand the reality of what it could lead you to and help you be. That's an intimate relationship. Intimacy it also involves responsibility. Um, can we all be initiators? Please. Please, anyone who ever counsels anyone relationally, if you would just be an initiator, like it would help the counselor so much. And here's what I mean. So often we sit with people and we say, they'll be like, oh, you'll never guess what they said or what they've done. And you say something like this. Well, what did, what did they do when you brought this up? Well, I haven't said anything. Can you initiate that, please? Or, or how about this? How many of you guys have had distance happen in a friendship? Okay. And maybe you've blamed that on the other person. You ever talk to someone and be like, well, what did you do when you reached out to them to hang out? Well, I haven't done that. So let me get, get this straight. They're responsible to get in touch with you. They're responsible to keep like checking in on you. They're responsible to keep calling you. They're responsible to keep asking. And so they're the only ones that need to be responsible. That is not intimacy in relationship. Intimate friendships and relationships are responsible for one another and initiating to one another. Those are real relationships. So be an initiator. Be responsible. Responsible people care about making a difference in their relationships. Responsible people understand that to have intimacy in relationships, it requires time and sacrifice of your time and to reach out and, and to care for your time. That's what needs to happen. So yes, this might not mean you can have as many relationships as you would desire because maybe your capacity is a little smaller. But it's important to begin to uh, see it in this way. And here's the last thing. You may think, this doesn't make sense. But it's worship. Here's why. Here's what worship is. Worship is the deepest desire of your heart. So last week when we talked about the desires of our hearts and how our hearts can be deceptive, we talked about having this solid foundation in Jesus. Because if the deepest desire of my heart is Jesus, then I have no choice 
literally, no choice but to love other people well. Every wedding I ever do, I say this. Every single wedding. In the personal remarks section, I, I, I will say, and you guys, as a couple, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your marriage is for both of you to grow in your faith for the rest of your life. Because it is impossible not to love one another more deeply if you're loving Christ at a deeper level than you were before. If somehow you've stopped loving one another at a deeper level, then you've also stopped loving Jesus. And so the desire of our heart and what we worship, what we put everything into, and what matters in the core of our being is what shapes our relationships. And so we have to start thinking through What do I worship? What do I spend my time in? And and listen, I promise you guys this. If you engage it in this way, there's going to be conflict. Conflict in your soul. You're going to start, it's like, oh, you're going to start like, that's not very Christ-like. Man, if you want real, intimate relationships to process your loneliness and process that gap in, in, in this powerful way, to begin to discover the reality and the truth. It's, it's this desire to be closer to Jesus is what shapes all of this. Nothing else can in that same way. So I'm asking you guys to bow your heads. We're going to sing one more song together here. So I want you to just start processing a little bit about do I actually have intimate friendships? Is my marriage actually in a place where I can actually say mm, there's, this is intimate? Someone I'm dating, this is, this is intimate. And maybe you have to admit to some loneliness. Maybe you have to admit to some ways that you've let apathy drive in to who you are. You will never be fully fulfilled in this life like that, not until eternity happens and God perfects everything in that reality. So you got to get on board with that. But maybe there's some things you're going to have to admit to some people about your apathy. Or maybe it's something you got to admit to God that you're realizing, I've just become so distant here that that reality has greatly impacted the relationships around me. So God, as we're about to sing, I pray our desire will be to draw closer to you. Let that be the starting point that reshapes every relationship that we have as we learn what it means to love each other well, to be in intimacy well. To have deep relationships with the people around us. But most importantly, God, that we have a close, deep relationship with you. Will you stand and sing this last song with us? <laughs>